Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Retiner, your host, broadcasting from my home in the Hamptons, where I have lived for over 55 years. I've written a dozen books about this glorious place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small tourist towns, quaint fishing villages, and a summer playground for high society, to what it is today, a world-class resort for celebrities, artists, musicians, authors, and billionaires. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with not only these people, but also prominent local people who have helped shape the Hamptons. My guest today on Dan's Talks is Mia Chertich. Uh, She is the president of the Montauk Historical Society, which certainly has uh, probably more incredible history about it than the Hamptons, which already has a lot of great history about it. And a lot of it is uh, posted up in the in the particular building, which is directly behind her, which was authorized by George Washington, just to give you an idea. But I think it's just a Zoom image, correct? You're actually indoors. I am. I'm actually indoors yeah, during the day. But I thought I would put this up because it's so nice and festive. And I just, I just um, want to say I'm actually the executive director of the Historical Society. Good. The president is George is uh, Joe Gaviola. I guess it's a board and you're running yeah. it. Yeah. Okay, we got that straight. Um, where uh, where were you? Uh, where are you from? How did you get to be uh, running the uh, the historical society? And how long have you been that doing that? I've been working for the historical society for about two and a half years. I started right at the very beginning of COVID in April of 2020. And um, I I kind of lived all around uh, in various places. Uh, I was born in New Jersey. My parents bought a leisurama in 1964, so original owners. And so I've been coming to Montauk virtually all my life. That's a house. That is a house. Yeah, that's a house in a development that ended up, you know, it was, it was a, it was a, it was a, Fantastic idea. It was uh, designed by uh, Geller, Andrew Geller, uh, the uh, the architect. Brilliantly designed, completely furnished by Macy's. You could go into Macy's and buy it, and uh, it was a fantastic idea. But only two hundred of them were built. It, it was a. It was. It, I think they they ended up losing money on it, but it it turned into a wonderful neighborhood and a community, and it's still standing. I believe uh, they sold the houses for $14,000. I think they ranged from even less than that to about 18000 for the super modern one. But, you know, they were they were very, very cleverly designed. And it was a really great idea because it was it made owning a summer house accessible to so many people. And one of the things was it was fully furnished. So you didn't have to say, oh, my God, now I bought this house. And now I have to furnish it. It came with everything. There were three different uh, colored choices that you could make, and uh, the, the wow. furniture would match, and the towels would match, and it was great. So this is out by the fishing village, looking out, and they're actually waterfront on um, uh, Long Island Sound. There. That's right. There, it's right along Sound View, right near Culloden Point. Uh, so, when did you first start coming out here? And it was summers, I presume. Nineteen sixty-four. What did you What did you like about it? When How old were well, you? Could tell me how old you were at that time. I was seven years old, oh. and um, it was an instant neighborhood. 
You know, people had, there were a lot of kids um, and we all came and we spent the whole summer here. And so we had these really intense friendships that you have from people who spend your summers with year after year after year. And there are very few of us um, who are who still own the houses now um, from the original group, but we're still we're still um, in touch with a lot of the um, a lot of the people who were who were our friends when we were seven and eight years old. And in fact, one of my best friends in the world was a Montauk friend, and she and I are still really close. And I, recently, when I, she lives in London now, as did I. So we we we've spent tons of time together for the past. However, how many years is it since 1964? It's a lot of years. Yes. <laughs> so, what did what did you did you, get, did you get interested in history? Did you study uh, what did you study in school? I did not study history. I have a degree, a, a double degree in English and Spanish literature from the University of London. But I've always been interested in history and particularly in mysteries and how do you get to the how do you get to the nub of a story and how do you find out what really happened. My professional background is uh, mostly as a writer. I used to do a lot of um, advertising copywriting and um, I've written a couple of screenplays and I've done a little bit of journalism and, I, and I've done a couple of series of um, documentaries for European TV. So, what got you interested in history in Montauk? You know, um, when I was a little kid, my parents bought me um, a book by Jeanette Edwards Rattray called Ship Ashore. Right. I have it was about shipwrecks yeah. and I was interested because we lived right near Culloden Point and there was a big thing about the, there was a section about the Culloden but I think I'm you know I've, I've just always been interested in history. Tell me a little bit about what the historical society is is uh, up to. Uh, sure big, big stuff actually at the historical society these days. First of all I mean I, I like to say you know when you're driving through the Hamptons and you go through those beautiful villages you're so aware of the history because it looks it, it, it looks historical. Yeah. And you come to Montauk and it looks as though it just sort of sprang up so recently. And I think people don't realize um, how many thousands of years of history we really have in Montauk, starting of course with the Montaukets and the indigenous people. And uh, so the Historical Society does have a small Indian museum, the Montauk Indian Museum, which focuses mainly on pre-contact life. So artifacts that, that, that are thousands of years old and how did people live in Montauk before there was contact with Europeans. And uh, we also have for a second house museum, which is the oldest house still standing in Montauk. It was rebuilt in 1797. And uh, that was of course, at that time, the proprietors of East Hampton were using Montauk as pasture land for uh, cattle and sheep mainly. And there were the three houses that were established for keepers. The first house, uh, which was originally called Hither House, was where they where they they took down the numbers of how many how many cows and sheep you were bringing in. And then you went on to second house, which was at that time called the House of Fort Pond, and that was where they separated the cattle from the sheep, and the sheep stayed around near second house, and then the cattle went further closer to the lighthouse to third house. So we we run uh, second house. It's owned by the town of East Hampton. Uh, the town of East Hampton is doing a spectacular, meticulous, historic uh, restoration of that house. These were also inns for travelers. Yes, they were. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and in, in, by the 19th century, 
the in part of it actually kind of became more important after Arthur Benson came here. And certainly Second House was a very popular place to stay. Uh, describe what Arthur Benson bought and what he did. Arthur Benson uh, bought uh, virtually all of Montauk in the um, mid to late 1800s, I think. I, 18, I would say 1871, was it? Something like, like that? Brooklyn Millionaire. A Brooklyn Millionaire. And yeah. he loved Montauk for its wildness. And uh, he kind of wanted to, he used it as, a, as his private fishing and hunting land. And he's responsible for the houses we call the Seven Sisters, which are these beautiful Stanford White Houses, where he, which apparently, were built without kitchens because everyone had their meals at the clubhouse. So they, I'm sure they had wonderful times out here. And that was really how Arthur Benson wanted Montauk to continue. He wanted it to stay a sort of fishing hunting paradise for a select number of people. Yeah, that's that site, that area is on its way as uh, it's out of Ditch Plains. Mm -hmm. And uh, about uh, 20 years after that, uh, at, at which time I believe the, the some of the houses were abandoned, but that's where uh, Teddy Roosevelt was encamped in Dutch Plains. Well, Teddy Roosevelt, yeah, his his when he was here for Camp Wyckoff in uh, 1898 after the Spanish-American War with so anywhere between 24 and 28,000 soldiers, approximately 2,000 of whom were his Rough Riders, and then another maybe 2,000 were the Buffalo Soldiers. And then the rest of them were the rest of the soldiers from that war. All of Montauk was this, as you, I mean, you've seen the pictures, this massive encampment, these incredible, you know, the, the, the bare hills of Montauk were covered with white tents. And how the army managed to put all of that together, basically creating what is now like a normal summer population for us in Montauk. I mean, we get about 30,000 people in the summer, right? This was close to that. And yet there were very, very few people living in Montauk full time at that time. Um, the Indians had, um, you know, been coerced into leaving. And um, it was pretty much the papers, people in the three houses and the lighthouse. Why did they come to Montauk? The soldiers were in really bad physical condition after the Spanish-American War. They were suffering from various diseases. Some of them were contagious, others were not, but they believed. At that time, they believed they were contagious. They believed that yellow fever and malaria were, were contagious diseases. And a, a lot of them were malnourished, wounded, in, generally in terrible shape. And so they turned Montauk into a giant quarantine camp for the soldiers to recuperate. And they were not here long. You know, they built this camp. The railroad had come in at that point because Arthur Benson's children sold part of Montauk to build the railroad, to bring the railroad out here. And that made it possible for uh, equipment and whatever they needed to build the camps to come in. And, uh, and the army threw this, this, uh, this, this city up, using, uh, bringing things in by train and by boat and using mule uh, carriages to, to, to take things from one part of Montauk to another. Pretty amazing. Yeah. And, um... President McKinley visited him. Here. President McKinley visited, and we have there are pictures of the pictures of Camp Wyckoff are wonderful. We have some of them at the lighthouse, and there is a fantastic book uh, written by a guy called Jeff Heatley. Splendid, splendid little war. 
That's the one I know. Oh, oh, I know. I'm, I meant specifically about Camp Wyckoff. Oh, um, it's, it's called Bully, and it's it, oh, that's it's yeah. Yeah, we published the Historical Society published it originally, I think in '98, uh, and we're now putting a, a new edition out thanks to a grant that we got from the Robert David Lyon Gardner Foundation. So Jeff Heatley is adding a couple of chapters and we're also adding an index so that it can be uh, used for research. And it's a fantastic book that's a compilation of uh, newspaper articles and letters. And it tells the story chronologically of Camp Wyckoff from the first, first time people had the idea of creating this quarantine camp until uh, the end, which was a very short period of time. It was only a few months. Where, where is the collection housed, the Historical Society's collection? Our collection, our archives? Yeah. We have a lot of uh, our items are in the, uh, in the Montauk uh, Library. And uh, we, have other, uh, we have other things at the Lighthouse itself and, and here at the Fisher House as well. But uh, I would say the, the, the majority of our archive are held by the... Um, what, the uh, so you were telling me about things that are underway. So continue with that. So we're, we are planning to reopen Second House when the, uh, when the uh, historic restoration is completed, which we think will be in 2024 now. And uh, that will open up as a combination of historic house and um, we're focusing on that particular time of Montauk history up until around 1886, um, between sort of, sort of the, you know, the you know, colonial time really in Montauk history. And we also plan to have a lot of community activities at Second House that we were sort of exploring crafts and activities that were done. You know, um, we have a lovely little garden. So we're gonna you know, do, we're, we're planning to plant a series of berries because berry picking was one of the things that brought people to Montauk. It was a big tourist attraction. People would come to Montauk and they would stay at Second House and they would pick berries. So as we replant, we're removing the, um, invasive non-native trees from the property and replacing with um, berries and uh, a little apple orchard. And uh, we'll be having, you know, cider making and uh, jam making and, you know, knitting and various other colonial activities that's in the pipes. And then of course, we also own the lighthouse, which uh, has, we've been sort of managing since 1987 and then got, uh, deed to in 1996. And that's, you know, the jewel in the crown. We're obviously There's very still proud a light of it. For mariners though, up top. I'm sorry? There's still a light for mariners up top, yes? Yes, there is. And that is still a, a federal aid to navigation. And, so, um, but you played a very, very big role in the preservation of the lighthouse with your light-ins and calling attention to the plight that it was in in the 1960s when the erosion was so severe that uh, the Coast Guard was considering abandoning it. Yeah, well, a lot of people helped out to solve that problem. So we have up at the lighthouse, I don't know if you know this, but um, we are just completing a complete restoration of the tower. And if you look in the, in the picture, you can see how you can actually see the individual sandstone uh, stones of the tower. That's because we've removed all the many, many layers of paint have chiseled out all of the mortar that was in there because it was actually a, in a inappropriate type of mortar that was that was damaging the sandstone more. We've replaced that with lime, mort lime putty mortar 
Mm. And uh, it's been a it's been a very um, long and expensive process, which we're thrilled to have received substantial grants from the uh, New York State Parks and from the Robert David Lyon Gardner Foundation, and also from extremely generous donors uh, who responded to this need. People love the lighthouse. And I think everybody understood that this was something that had to happen because it was, it was, it was actually the, the structure was beginning to be threatened by the damage that had been done by the 220 years of storms and wind and heat and cold and so on and so forth. So, but you'll be able to paint it the colors that it's always been. We, we, it, it's going to go back to the original colors with the original day mark. It's the process is actually referred to as recoating rather than painting. It's a particular, it's a very, very special mineral product that is allows um, breathing, uh, allows the, you know, sort of air to, to enter and so on. So it's not as, it's, it's, it does, it's, it's not like paint. It's a, it's a specific kind of substance that they use for this kind of building. And that will be done um, next year. We're expecting to have a major ribbon cutting uh, next summer. Uh, and also we will be celebrating the completion of a massive revetment that the Army Corps of Engineers and the state have been working on uh, for the past, my bag, maybe year and a half. Yeah. And uh, that is, a, it's about a $38 million um, project uh, people in Montauk will have heard and seen the trucks of rocks going up, you know, to the to the lighthouse, uh, rumbling away. But that's almost finished now, and uh, it's going to be what, terrific. What is the hours? The public can visit the lighthouse, and can they climb up top? Uh, well, at the moment, we're, we're we are closed for the season, but. Um, up until last weekend, yeah, you were able to go up top, or actually a couple of weeks ago, you were able to climb the tower. When and is it will reopen time? in the spring. When will, what uh, time will it reopen in the spring? Uh, we'll, we'll see, you know, we're very weather dependent. Um, it, it's, a, it's a funny thing. There's almost like a little microclimate at the lighthouse. It's, uh, it, the wind is, stronger there that hill can be really really steep it could be very slippery and so um we 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 play it by ear but were you we i think we open seven days a week in april we're usually open weekends in in march but we will announce that when we know and there's a little museum in there now there's a wonderful museum there yeah and, um, yeah and talk about that for a little bit uh the Montauk Point Lighthouse Museum has grown gradually over the years. And it's, it's a really complete history of the Montauk Point Lighthouse, uh, along, which includes the original document signed by George Washington that um, commissioned the lighthouse's building. We have original uh, letters from uh, Ezra Lumdia, who was the surveyor who chose the site, mm -hmm. and a letter signed by Thomas Jefferson when he was Secretary of State. So we have this sort of, we have our little documents room. We have uh, another room that's devoted to the erosion process and what we've done to combat the erosion. A lot of that room is dedicated to Georgina Reed, who was the miraculous woman from uh, Byland who- uh, River, I believe. Uh, 
I, I, I'm not sure where where no, she was. No, no, thank you. I know she was born in Trieste, and, and um, she was a fabric designer. She was not an engineer, but she came up with this uh, system for protecting a bluff in a, in a that was that was exposed to this kind of pounding from the ocean and erosion. And with her band of happy volunteers over on every weekend for I don't know how many years in the late 60s, early 70s, they were really trying to preserve the uh, that the bluff. Uh, and, and I think because of the success of that and because of the success of the light-in and the, um, the attention awesome. that the Montauk Pioneer brought to the, 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 the problem of the lighthouse, the uh, Coast Guard finally agreed to um, to work on a, on a revetment. So we started having, we had a, I think the, they built a revetment back in 1990, I believe. And then it's, it's been added to over the years. Are there any other uh, historic pieces of Montauk that a visitor can uh, go to and run by the Historic Society? Well, we now have um, the town of East Hampton using CPF funds has purchased the Carl Fisher house, which was the house that Carl Fisher built for himself high on a hill, uh, not too far from the Montauk Manor. And uh, that's not open to the public yet, but it will be eventually, we're planning a museum that will focus on the 1920s and 1930s. Oh, that's great. As, as experienced in Montauk. So, you know, two great decades where a lot of stuff was going on here between the, you know, rum running and the roaring 20s and Carl Fisher's massive development of Montauk. And, uh, and then of course, you know, followed by, you know, the depression and, you know, rumblings of war and so on and so forth. It was a really interesting time. And Montauk certainly changed a lot in those two decades very rapidly. Uh, Carl Fisher put in the sort of basic you know, the, the infrastructure that we still enjoy today. So uh, he created the, uh, the harbor by blasting out the lake and, um, and, and uh, you know, and, and allowing boats to come in there and uh, we have a nice, nice safe harbor there. So it was a really exciting time here. And I think it's gonna be a fantastic museum when we open. We're in early planning stages right now. Yeah. But you, you can you can you can sort of see there are so many places. I mean, I'm 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 very uh, interested now in Carl Fisher's life. I mean, he was an amazing, accomplished person who, um, you know, built the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, developed Miami Beach. He was involved in the Lincoln Highway and the Dixie Highway, and you know, he he was a he was a, a very energetic and um, tireless developer and. Uh, yeah. There's a very interesting story I might tell you about that. First, the uh, six-story building that he built in the center of town, which was supposed to be uh, part of a resort that never got finished, but the building was built. On top of it was his uh, penthouse apartment, still there. Yeah. A huge fireplace. I understand a painting of a bull over the bed. And he married... Uh, his, his wife. Uh, she wrote a book about him. Yeah. Uh, and the book, she claimed that they were married when she was 15. Yeah, not true. Right. And you know the reason? Why did she say that? Yeah, I know the uh, reason. Well, I think she just wanted people to think she was younger than she was. She, that's exactly right. She lived in Palm Beach and had lied about her age. And if she was 15, <laughs> if she was what she said she was when she was in Palm Beach, 
that's the age she would have been when she got married. And I thought that was a, that's a good in, a note to end this on. We could talk, I think, for hours about Montauk. It's such an interesting place. And I want to thank you for coming. We we ought to do this again and sure. talk more about uh, later developments, particularly Fishers, which ultimately failed. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, the, the attempt to fly to Europe in a dirigible and... Uh, uh, there's lots of stuff, the bombardments of the fort at uh, Gardner's Island by the uh, airplanes, the, air, air, the uh, airport that was where downtown Montauk was, uh, the, uh, uh, I guess, the uh, development of uh, the military stuff out in Montauk with the, uh, the missiles and big guns out. You know, it's a whole time. We'll do it again. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Thank and, you. Uh, this is going to be a wonderful uh wonderful podcast for us and appreciate the, your time. Well, thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Okay. Bye-bye. Take care.